Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, the lifeblood of any successful growing business is the supply chain. And certainly this past year has been a year like no other in terms of the disruption and really the need to re-examine efficiencies and effectiveness of supply chains, whether you're a manufacturing business whether you're a retail business, whether you're a technology business that is sourcing components, supply chain is that critical element. And there's been a lot of research around effectiveness at supply chain and how that impacts the results of companies. And it's been proven that there's better revenue performance, sustainable revenue performance by really driving more efficiencies in the supply chain. And with all of the disruption from the pandemic, how have businesses responded? And there's been some great surveys out there and uh, really asking how should supply chain approach disruption? And 60% of respondents talk about the criticality of improving efficiency and effectiveness to remain relevant. So almost two thirds see that as uh, very, very critical. The research shows that the most common key performance indicators that are used to monitor supply chain have to do with daily performance, cost reduction, production service rates, and others, but very specific KPIs. And then when looking at the criticality of data analysis, 41% of respondents say that is a top priority to achieve all they can in supply chain. So I'm really excited to have our guest today, Nancy Miller, who's going to help us figure out what the heck is going on with supply chain. We're all seeing it as individual consumers with things that we're buying. It's all around us in terms of navigating through uh, this uh, really unprecedented time. Nancy has got tremendous experience. She's got more than 25 years in leading planning, logistics, and supply chain initiatives. She's a very adept leader and problem solver, and she uses collaboration to motivate others to achieve exceptional results. This is all about continuous improvement. It's about improved communications and educating others about the cause and effect and how each person's job impacts other people or departments. So it's all of these interdependencies. So as the principal at NDM Consultancy, Nancy is working with business leaders every day about how to take their supply chain to another level. So with that as some background, and right in my backyard, hometown of Seattle, Washington, Nancy, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Good morning, and thank you. So we've we've got just incredible, unprecedented times, but I'd, I'd like to go back and think about your start in in focusing on this critical area of sourcing and supply chain. You've worked in the area of materials and supply chain for quite some time. What really motivated you to direct your career path in that area? 
Oh my gosh. So, you know, when you're growing up and, and you, you start getting of, of an age where you should start earning money, either a job selects you or you select a job. And I ended up in my career path because um, it wasn't because I selected a job. It was because it selected me. So I, I actually started off as a florist and um, because that was a job I got in my high school years. And, you know, so when you think about it, oh, well, what does a florist ever learn about the business world? But the reality is you learn, if you think about it, you learn a lot if you are being involved as a, you know, important member of whatever company you work for. So for me, um, I learned project planning. So, you know, doing wedding flowers, my goodness. I mean, there's a, a ton of planning you're doing for that. And then, you know, hello, flowers, they have a really short shelf life. So those were the two things I came into the real business world with. Um, so, you know, from that, I, I ended up going into a, 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 a smaller company um, that was an electronic manufacturer. So I didn't use the, the shelf life then, but I certainly have through the rest of my career. Um, but I learned project management. And so just coming into the business world, understanding how you need to plan things from start to end uh -huh. um, really made an importance. And, and from there, I actually started taking courses that had to do with operations management, materials management, and then that set me with my career. Yeah, really interesting. I had a family member that owned a floral business, so I could really relate to uh, all of the detailed planning that goes in and the logistics around supporting events, weddings, and other special events. So really interesting that that really uh, was your starting point. And Obviously, throughout the course of your lengthy career, we've seen so much innovation and technology advancement. And I'm curious, how have you seen that innovation change the way that companies approach sourcing and strategically managing their supply chains? Well, and this is funny, and I'm sorry to say it, but true, you mentioned a lengthy career, um, but... Back in the back in the days, you know how many young people say that um, for sourcing it used to be this thing called the Thompson Register, and you had to buy it every year. And it was like a it was like an encyclopedia dictionary thing that was multiple books that you put on your shelf. And if you wanted to find a certain screw or a certain washer or a uh, chip, an electronic chip, or you wanted to find somebody that could do, you know, plastic casting or whatever, you would go to your Thompson register, this book, and you'd flip through it, you'd find what you need, and you'd call a bunch of companies that were in the register. And then um, at one point, it advanced amazingly to be on a disc. Imagine that getting a disc in the mail, instead of this encyclopedia book set thing. Um, and now there's the internet. So when we think about sourcing, it has changed so completely in the last, and let's just say 20 years, it's completely changed. 
um, you know, if you if you think back 50 years or 75 years, even 100 years, you go back and your only source was your neighbor or next door or in the city. And that expanded with the Thompson Register about 30 years ago. And, and now today, the Internet makes, you know, puts the sourcing world at your feet. So, you know, it's it's pretty different today than it was even 10 years ago and completely flipped from 20 years ago. Um, so, uh, but on managing the supply, um, especially if you're thinking about doing it strategically, it really amounts to understanding your supplier's source of material and where they're getting things from and how they're managing their supply chain. So you need to you need to not think about just where your supplies are coming from. You need to understand the true source of the supplies. And I think because we've become a global manufacturing company, the whole world is is global with manufacturing. Um, you need to even think back through things like, gosh, maybe two years ago, there was this big controversy about women's makeup where um, there was, you know, the, the glowing, glittery look that women get when they put their makeup on um, is from mica. And mica was primarily sourced out of India with children being the people who mined the product without any masks or anything to protect their lungs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have to really look at the source of your source and how it's being managed because, you know, we can get uh, we can do a lot of damage to the world, the world's peoples and get a lot of bad press because of of where our materials come from or how they're managed. And there's been a number of global initiatives to try to protect these things now. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're so right. And the whole social consciousness about labor and mm-hmm. uh, certainly that's impacted the apparel industry. I mean, there's been a lot of attention in that area. So it, it just, it really expands into a lot of just questions about uh, really uh, humanity and what's right and what's, what's moral and, so very, very complicated there, but very compelling and very important. And I know something else that you're very passionate about, Nancy, is continuous process improvement. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen as the most successful breakthroughs? What are the drivers behind that to really achieve true breakthrough? You know, you, you're you totally right here. I love doing process improvement projects I mean, that, that if, if I were to say there's a cornerstone of what I, of myself that I'm passionate about, that, that's it. Um, you know, and what I find is all too often people just make their job more complicated than it needs to be. They don't understand how they're impacting the next person down the line that's impacted by their work. Um, the person who's receiving is, you know, essentially the fruits of their labor. Um, and then you have to think about what's important to the business as well as what's important to the next guy down the line. So um, with uh, successful, the most successful projects that I do, um, you can't do this as a standalone person. 
or even a standalone department, you really need to include other people from the company that are outside your arena, get their vision, understand what's impacting them. So, for example, you need to include perhaps people you don't even think about. So maybe engineering or accounting, research and development, maybe the quality group. Who are the people outside your personal arena? In my case, supply chain. Do you need to like involve and ask and get their buy-in for what changes you might make? So you don't want to do a major change that involves let's just say changing a production line, if um, R&D isn't involved, if engineering isn't involved or quality, if they don't have buy-in, they're not going to believe in what you're doing. They're not going to support what you're doing. And if you have their input, then you know how to help these groups or how these groups need to help you. And it gets everybody on the same page. So, um, yeah, with successful breakthrough, really the most successful things happen when you're involving people that are outside of your area because they have a fresh vision of, of uh, what's impacting them or what they're missing, you know, in what you're currently doing. You know, what do they see is lacking there? So they're usually the best to help you understand your weaknesses um, or your the areas that are putting the company at risk. And they're usually also your best partners in fixing those things. Yeah, that yeah. cross-functional collaboration is a really, really important point. And I'm curious where you've worked with companies and bringing in those fresh perspectives from outside the core department what are some of the barriers you've seen? Because you've got people coming in, you get the benefit of the fresh perspective, but you've got people that are maybe talking a little bit of a different language, right? Based on their functional expertise. I'm curious what some of the, the barriers or challenges or how you overcome to then translate that into driving the breakthrough. Yeah, no, that's, oh, that's a great question. So, and you're right. One of the biggest barriers is communication, and there's two parts to that. One is first having the same terminology um, and understanding, uh, the, you know, and the, and the second is being able to communicate the impact of, of what's going on. On the terminology side, um, I, my goodness, there's a number of businesses that I've worked with where people have called whatever computer output they're working with, so maybe out of their ERP system probably, they're calling it, uh, one company they used a, a system called Simpro. And so everybody in the company called, well, when I look at my Simpro, this is what I see. And everybody was talking about the whatever report they got, their MRP report, their purchasing report, their quality report, um, whatever report they were looking at, at, they called it My Simpro. But the problem was, of course, in every department, My Simpro meant something completely different because yeah. each department had its own report. So, so how do you start with a 
something, a, a, a point of communication that everybody thinks is very functional because they're all talking about my Simpro. But the reality is my Simpro is something completely different in every department. So, um, you know, so some of some of the experiences that I've had, they really have to boy. They really boil down to communication. First of all, understanding what I'm looking at is it the same thing you're looking at, and then secondly, how am I affecting you? So, uh, what's coming to me is it truly effective? For, to help me do my job. And then when it leaves my workstation, is it effective for the next person? And very often, in fact, almost all the time, what I have seen, it is not the case. So what happens, no matter what kind of work it is, it could be in production and it's just a widget getting made and it moves from one widget workstation to the next. It could be how paper is getting processed. So a, a paperwork that starts maybe in purchasing and then goes to the supplier, comes back into receiving, receiving sends it on to accounting. You start seeing how all these departments are getting involved. And even with like receiving paperwork, you think, well, how would R&D or quality or engineering have anything to do with what happens in a receiving department? But it's the case that all of those departments do affect the receiving department and the receiving department affects those other departments. So for quality, um, they need to know something arrived and they need to inspect it, for instance. Um, let's say engineering, maybe it's a really large thing or something that needs special care when it hits the receiving dock. Maybe it needs to immediately go into um, minus 70 freezer. Is there a freezer that's local to you or not? Um, or maybe you should be thinking about using some other kind of component that doesn't need the deep freeze. So um, all of these departments really affect each other and they don't usually recognize it. So, um, so it's really kind of fun when you're doing these continuous improvement projects for people to have these aha moments about how they're affecting each other. So, um, so that fresh vision from other people from other areas about what's affecting them or what they see going wrong, and then really getting that unique perspective um, and bringing people together to agree on how to do something that's going to be effective as you're moving something from one area to another, from one department to another, and how it best supports the business. And I'm, I'm just really passionate about that. I don't think people understand well enough what happens upstream and downstream of whatever their job position is. Yeah, really what you are is you become a expander in terms of their perspective of being able to see uh, the bigger picture outside of their own specific function. And it's got to be really gratifying. You mentioned those aha moments. I call them light bulb moments where you get a collective group and then, wow, you really hit on this, this idea and, and people can see how that leads to breakthrough. That's got to be really satisfying when the whole group kind of gets energized by that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked a bit about the global pandemic, um, hugely disruptive, and 
we've all felt it. We've all seen the impact of that on a very personal level in some obvious ways, but maybe some not so obvious ways. Can you talk a little bit about some compelling examples of just where this has played out and how that disruption is really creating challenges? Well, now you're, I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you, Dan, from my own perspective. So, so things that have affected me in the last year, I'm going to put two things out there that might, you might relate to one is toilet paper. Um, Another is printer cartridges. So, my goodness, what happened to our toilet paper this last year? A year ago, everybody was like fighting over toilet paper, going into a store that had signs in front of it, no toilet paper right. available, right? You know, or, um, and then nine months ago, uh, or, or maybe farther back, printer cartridges. My goodness, what happened with printer cartridges? I can't go to Staples and buy my printer cartridges or you know, who... Where, where do I find printer cartridges now? They're not in the store anymore. What's going on? And the same thing happened with both. With both. So if we think about toilet paper, it's not that we don't have toilet paper. It's that we don't have the right kind of toilet paper. Or printer cartridges, <clears throat> it's not that we can't print or don't have printer cartridges. We don't have the right kind. So what happened is we started living at home. We started working from home. And and what that means is that living from home or working from home, what that means is we use our bathroom at home. We use our printer at home, right? So it's not that we didn't have toilet paper. It's that a lot of toilet paper mills make those great big monstrous rounds of toilet paper that like you go into a McDonald's or you go mm-hmm. into, yeah. you know, a public restroom and, and there's this big round of toilet paper that you're using from. That's not the same toilet paper that you're using at home. What happened is that toilet paper and printer cartridges, both, they've got a very low, uh, uh, cost of manufacturing and return on uh, investment for the business. So for a mill, you know, a paper making mill to change over from making this very flat, thin tissued, large roll of toilet paper to something that a consumer uses in their home, you can't do it overnight. You can't do it quickly. And by the way, since it's a, a really low return on investment kind of material, um, they're already running their plants 24-7. So it's not like your your home toilet paper mill can make more toilet paper because they're already running 24-7. So how do you do this? So, yeah, and the same is true with printer cartridges. You've, we all had been printing things at work, and now that we have to print things at home, we're using so much more of the printer cartridges at home. So these are some examples um, at home how or individually how we're realizing the impact of what's happening with our supply chain. And we don't understand really that it's the use of the manufacturer's production mill making our toilet paper or making a printer cartridge that we're using. What we realize is that I don't have toilet paper I don't have a printer cartridge. And in fact, some of the things that have happened is 
there were takeout food food takeout businesses that uh, actually had a surplus because they had several rolls, of, you know, mega rolls of toilet paper that nobody was using. And so they would bundle them up and they would say for every takeout, you know, here's your free bag of toilet paper. Um, or um, on the printer cartridge side, it was a little bit opposite, you know, the cost of running off a print at um, a, a public use printer. Um, so these would be at uh, essentially any of your uh, uh in-home office supply stores, like you might go down to your local, um, gosh, I, I just hate to use names because I don't want to point anybody no, no. out, but uh, you go down to your, your local place where you can take a, take a thumb drive and plug it in and print something off. And their cost of, of printing something pretty much doubled because they, um, could charge that because there was the need for people because they didn't have a in-home printer right. cartridge to use. So, so depending on what side of the supply chain you're on, you know, you have to understand both the inputs being the toilet paper or, or the outputs being a printer page of printed material. And that really affects you trying to um, just change from doing work at a business or trying to do work at home. But that's really a direction that I think that we've successfully moved to that's going to be hard to move away from, I think, as we look into the future. Yeah, some really interesting examples there. And it really points to the importance of being able to constantly think about changing use cases, right? When you think about the future and then how does that impact the context in which your consumer is going to use your product? is going to potentially impact what you need to source, how you need to plan that production and, and being able to best match those use cases. So uh, great, great examples. And I know something else that you've talked about is this concept of near sourcing and that that's becoming much more prevalent. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So interesting point here. So, as we've moved through the pandemic, you know, a lot of businesses, um, they think about disaster planning or they think about continuity planning. If there's an issue that comes up that's of, of major size, how are we going to move our business into the future? And with near sourcing, so it's very typical in industry that you are looking for things that you can get at the best economic value, which usually means purchasing something from a place where labor costs very little money. Um, so from going to say China, India, some of these other countries where labor is very low cost. So uh, it, it, it is the case in manufacturing that you're often looking offshore to find uh, the best cost, and it can also be the best quality. So maybe you're looking to a country that specializes in a certain kind of manufacturing or chemistry or something, uh, maybe because of the mineral deposits that are under their own soils. So um, in industry, uh, in manufacturing industry, you're often looking 
around the world at where you can find something that's going to be the best quality or best cost. And with the pandemic, one of the things that really cropped up that I that large companies, really, really large companies probably have thought about, but not every company thought about. And, and that is that most small components ship um, overseas on passenger planes. And if it's shipping on a passenger plane, and let's just say, pick any, pick any airline. Um, during the pandemic, people were not flying. They couldn't figure out at first how to get people safely on a plane. And then they figured that out. And there's the airflow through the cabin and so forth. But there was a lot fewer planes flying because gosh, you know, we don't want to fly anything from the U.S. to England, or we don't want to fly anything from Asia into the U.S., or we don't want to fly a plane from one area to another. So how do you move your parts between countries if it's going on an airplane? And in this last year, some of the big, big companies, they actually purchased airplanes and flew their parts themselves between countries because they needed them and they couldn't rely um, on passenger planes or even because so many people were purchasing um, things online for their own home, things were coming, you know, first by airplane and then by local, you know, that, that last mile delivery into the home. And so there was a lot of, of lost space that was typically there for industry to use on passenger planes. So, um, you know, even even our major carriers like FedEx and UPS have been, you know, pushed pushed to the edge with, you know, trying to support and next day delivery becomes next week's delivery just because of the volume traveling on on those sources. So, um, you know, one of one of the things, you know, about supply chain is we've had to think about disaster planning really in a critical way. Um, and that means not only how do I get it from your country to my country, um, but when a whole country closes down, there's two things that happen. One, you think about near sourcing. How do I, how do I nurture a company that's in my backyard, in my neighborhood, that I can drive to or that I can put a semi between them and us? And how do I get it to my plant so I can keep making things that I can sell? Because if I don't have that part, that it's like chocolate chip cookies. If you don't have the chocolate chip, it's not going to be a chocolate, chocolate chip cookie, right? So how do I get something in my backyard that I can support? And, you know, here we're in the Seattle area and our biggest issue that we really try not to think about, at least a lot of people don't, are earthquakes, you know, and yeah. a major earthquake splitting I-5 in half. How do you get something from Oregon to Washington if I-5 splits in half? I don't know, it was less than 10 years ago, maybe, or, t or about 10 years ago, there was this major flood and I-5 went underwater for about three or four days. And it, I actually... Uh, was living in Oregon at the time, but up here in Washington when that happened and when I could drive back down to Oregon, it was phenomenal. You, you saw grass up in the top of the trees, you know, where it got stuck for, and you could see how high those floodwaters were. 
you know, things can happen. Just, you know, snap your fingers. They can happen. And businesses need to think about those things and how they're going to prepare themselves. So near sourcing is one of the ways I've seen businesses trending. Another way is um, if you're working offshore is to have a second supplier that's in a different country. So if you're getting something from India, can you get it from China as well, for instance, so that you don't have a single source for your supply? and making sure you have more diversification on the supply chain side. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Nancy, do you see any other major trends that are further reshaping how companies are strategically managing their supply chains? Yeah. One of the things that I'm seeing is education. So just, just bringing your workforce up to current speed or getting to them, getting them to the next level of education I think businesses are realizing that if you don't keep people involved with understanding how, you know, the changing global environment is working, if you're standing still, you're being left behind. And I've seen a number of companies really taking advantage of the pandemic and the slowdown of consumer goods that have passed through um, the, the businesses that are taking advantage by educating their, their, their group, their staff, their crew, their department, those companies in the end are really going to be taking off because people will be able to take their current education and apply it to the future. And the companies that are standing still and, and just letting people go, uh, those are the companies that are likely, you know, from, from my perspective, those are the companies that are likely to be left behind as we get off into our next economic growth period. That is so true. This idea that constantly improving yourself, constantly moving. If you're not moving, you are going to get left behind. You get stagnant. Uh, you're not going to innovate. And so it's just that constant drive to uh, look at yourself um, in a very constructive way and, and just seek out uh, continuous improvement. So we've talked a lot about uh, just how difficult, how challenging the pandemic year has been. But despite all that, when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, <clears throat> I mean, even, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when I think about being optimistic and looking at the future, I just have to think, Whenever we're in a situation where we're stressed and we come out on the backside of having been stressed, we've learned so much and we've learned how to take care of ourselves. Um, I, I just I've worked with uh, different businesses and people around the world. And I guess being an American, you know, I think if you're progressing and moving upward in, in life, you're probably working a 50 or 60 hour work week. Right. Um, but you look at the French model and they work 35 hour work week. What's up with that? You know, I think that slowing down is going to cause us in America to think about working smarter and not working harder. And I think we've been working harder for many generations and I think it's time to work smarter. 
And I think this whole slowdown period will help people think about what does their spend really need to be? Um, where do they need to go? What makes them happy? And I think a lot of people have found a lot of happiness in the last year they wouldn't have found otherwise. And a lot of people are realizing what they need to make them happy. And I think when I look generations down the road, I think that this period of time is really going to shape our youth. It's going to shape our idea of business, shape our idea of what it means to work and um, bring income home. And I think the country is going to be much healthier as we look into the future and not just the country, the whole world. This is really a global impact, the pandemic. And I think when we get on the backside, it's going to have been a breather that's going to help us readjust to a healthier world. I truly believe that. I think you've really hit on something there. We've heard a lot of people talk about how the pandemic has allowed them to step back and reevaluate their priorities, their life priorities, you know, when it comes to work-life balance, when it comes to appreciating the things that are truly most important. And it becomes transformational, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Nancy, as we start winding down our conversation, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking either competitive advantage and driving sustainable success in managing their materials and supply chains? I'm going to just step right back for um, sustaining a business and, and gaining competitive advantage. I truly believe that educating people on how they're impacting groups of people below them and above them in, in that whole supply chain in front of them or behind them, however you want to look at it. Understanding impact is huge because there's so much repetition that happens that can be eliminated and really strategically eliminate costs in doing business that should be looked at. And if you stand in one place, if you don't try to make any change, you are really going to be left behind. And now is the time to do it. Now is that breather in consumption that people and businesses have time to take a look around them and see what makes a difference and what makes really good sense to do. And um, I would encourage anybody to look in their own life as well as the company that they work for and where that would make a difference. That's inspiring. I wrote that down. Now is the time. Nancy, that is uh, definitely uh, the the actionable uh, type of inspirational message. So thank you again for sharing your perspective on the real opportunities for leveraging supply chain into long-term business success. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me today. And a reminder to all of you that have been listening to Market Impact Insights, your feedback is so valuable. Please make sure to go out, rate, and review. You can do that easily on all the streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Please give us the gift of feedback. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.